Chapter 2, Lockdown Diaries. Tanais, I think one of the things that has really been on my mind is that you're actually one of the last people that I saw before this lockdown began. You're one of the last people I hugged. Yeah. As a, like a friend that I like ate pizza with. It's <laughs> really, it's like... I mean, we were in Brooklyn at your apartment. And I think, um, you know, given what's happened to New York in particular, having become the epicenter of what's happening in the U.S., it just was really, there is something very sad about this feeling that have we lost those kinds of hangouts? You know, I actually have been very much holding that hang so close because I'm very much mourning that tactile feeling of being in a room with my friends, passing a joint, having each other over, breaking bread in real life. It's it's taking something really basic that I never questioned would ever not be in my life and now it's just not going to be in my life for a while. Welcome to Lockdown Diaries. I'm Bilal Qureshi. Tucked between the folds of the daily news, the expanding cases, and the embarrassing politics are the pages of our small, more private losses. The mundane moments once taken for granted, the scent and the sensibility of a friend's home at midnight. On my last visit to Brooklyn last month, I spent time with one of my favorite writers, Tanais a Bangladeshi-American artist whose language is rooted in the perfume of memory and family history. I am a novelist, and I'm a perfumer, and I have a brand called High Wildflower. Tanais says when the virus arrived in New York City, for the business, the writing was on the wall. One of the things that I realized in the last two weeks is, shit, I'm going to go out of business. I'm going to be broke. And I just basically put everything on this mega sale because I was like, I just want you all to have this beautiful shit because it's going to be sitting in a warehouse because I know that we're all going to be locked down. We're not going to be able to get any of this stuff to people. And the way that people flooded us with not only love, but actually buying all this stuff I fucking made with my hands in small batches, artisanal makeup and, and all the shit that people like make fun of and talk about as if it's like some sort of like Brooklyn bohemian bullshit. That is bringing so much joy to people right now. And I feel like that illuminated a purpose that I had not anticipated, a purpose of creating the outside inside of your home. Tanais's next book is called Insensorium. It's a memoir of essays that was going to combine interior explorations with an external journey through Daesh, the Bengali word for homeland. And I wanted to have a river journey that cuts across the border of what is now Bangladesh and what is now India that mirrors the memoir, you know, that I'm writing. And now I say like after weeks and weeks of kind of thinking about what does this mean? This is exactly what perfume is for. It is a projection of a homeland that I'm not going to be at. And the materials from these places are allowing me to create an assemblage of something that is the thing that I'm not going to be able to experience in life. Even with this coronavirus, it's like one of the signs that you have it is that you can't smell. I mean, it's pretty terrifying. What I want to ask you specifically as an artist who works with sense and memory and, and touch What drew you to that particular medium or that particular um, sense? 
I think that scent people and people who have a nose um, are very aware of their olfactory sense at a very young age. So for me, I never, you know, necessarily saw that as a path to be a perfumer, but I've always been very aware of my surroundings through my olfactory sense. And I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I didn't grow up with a lot of access to outdoor space. So when I started to have those experiences, you know, I went to Vassar, which is, you know, it's, it's in nature. It's not in the city or anything. So I started to finally have access to mossy smells, rain smells, dirt smells, all that kind of stuff. Well, in this moment when we are now not as able to go out and experience the world, um, you know, I know there's some people taking nature walks and such, but in general, the world seems to have been canceled. There's something interesting about how <laughs> as we're beginning to, a lot of people are beginning to do what I think artists and writers and memoirists and essays have always done, which is mine their great indoors, you know, mind their interiors. Mm. It's hard and it's tough to stay in one's own room as we're all learning as well. But, you know, the idea of a room of one's own is very central to kind of what it means to be an artist, to have that kind of remove. Describe for me your room, where you are, and how are you making it feel like the great indoors? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, nothing's really changed since you've been here, so I'll just describe it for everyone who's not here, who's not on my Instagram stories. Um, it's very psychedelic and comfortable in my home. Um, there's incense burning right now, and it's a Tibetan incense that my partner likes to burn in the morning. We have carnations. Carnations are a great flower to uh, buy when you want something to last because they last for weeks if you just keep watering them. So I have hot pink carnations, plants, dracaenas, philodendrons, things that can survive in north-facing apartment, and books everywhere. Um, we have stacks and stacks of books. Most of my research books are kind of a little fortress of knowledge on my table that's just staring at me. And I will say that I got a little... Um, kind of like rattled in my brain because of all of this. So I've not been able to sustain focus on writing. And it took me about a week to transcribe an interview that I did with a young Bangladeshi woman who's running for political office. And I, I could not wrap my head around getting work done. Like even the concept of work seems futile. And even more than being trapped in my home, the very fabric of everyone's livelihood and ability to make money has crumbled and really illuminated how broken our system is. And we have more than 3 million people applying for unemployment. That's just like, we're living in this time of a lot of financial insecurity to say the very least, but deep, deep existential crisis. So I think to be inward and be at home feels like a sanctuary. It's just beautiful outside. And as a New Yorker, I feel like my spring and summer is being a little bit uh, stolen from me, which I think is a very depressing feeling for all of us who've been trapped inside of a winter home. Well, you mentioned your apartment and how it's filled with, you know, psychedelic beauty, but also mm. lots of books and records <laughs> and records, music. Yeah, you're you love music, and you and your husband have an amazing record collection. And I I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you about the books that are surrounding you and what you're reading. I'm really craving poetry, and I think that's part of, you know poems and poets are really speaking truth in the most distilled crystalline versions of those truths. And it's like very powerful to read. So I have Hard Damage by Arya Aber in front of me, 
and Arya just won the Whiting Award, which is really exciting. And she's a fantastic poet. I have Post-Colonial Love Poem by Natalie Diaz that just came out. Uh, Registers of Illuminated Villages uh, by my friend who's a Bangladeshi poet, Tharfia Faizula. And another one of my closest friends, Jenny Zhang, has a poetry collection called My Baby First Birthday. And these have been it's like divinations for me right now and make me feel like I'm getting smarter line by line, stanza by stanza. Could you read me a particular verse or something specific from one of the authors you've mentioned? Yeah, I was going to say, so what's interesting is Jenny Zhang, one of my closest friends, we had this very melancholy 2019. I mean, literally we both I had moments saying that 2019 was the worst year ever. Little did we know we were so innocent in 2019 that 2020 would be way <laughs> Um, But we would have these sessions on my stoop. And I don't have a beautiful brownstone stoop. I have an ugly ass 1989 condo, like New York City stoop. It's just concrete. And, you know, we sit on this stoop and watch people go by and smoke cigarettes and cry and talk about life. And she actually put a poem in here for me called Danais's theme. It's really just amazing to be heard by a friend and then be in her book and in a very true distilled way. So Danais's theme. How many generations of women are we descended from who never chose themselves? I love that. It's like, girl, I said that. <laughs> That it's like, that was such, <laughs> that was so like, that was such a theme. I mean, it was like, we are descended from so many women who have never chosen themselves, child brides, women who have never spoken up for their truth because of the family, because the family collective unit was stronger of a whole for them and also more important to them than themselves. And I'm very indebted to all those women. And then from... Aria's book, Hard Damage. There's this one. So I don't know about you, because you are a sexy, shaved, bald-headed person, but I feel like my hair in quarantine. Can we talk about this? I had to <laughs> wax myself. That was a nightmare. <laughs> my eyebrows, the most important part of a person's face, and my eyebrows are just going to be crazy. And it's crazy how one thing, right, like having a bushy crotch or eyebrows can send you into a spiral of tears and worry for the waxer who is such a beautiful person, Davinder, who I do not know how to get in touch with her. I have no idea how she's making money for her family. Like I was, I was weeping because I was like, I don't know how you're going to survive this because all these salons and places where touch is central to money making is they're all shut down. So this poem by Arya Aber is called Ode to My Hair. Exotic. Oh my God. So thick. A rug, so to speak. Black cortex. I can almost be beautiful with you. Once, mother snatched my split ends like newly acquired money and named them Taliban Beard. I never wanted this much of anything, so I scissored you at the scrunchie and sold you all to the World Wide Web. In plastic bags, you were shipped next to different mains. The past stored in your filaments like fetuses and formaldehyde, fragrances descending as if skin of people huddled into eyeless belly of a boat at night, cut and alone. Dark keratin lies cold in factory halls, congregation of weight. You're patient until you too are wanted. But when my spools stop and the silence holds, let them braid you into other heads. Let them brush you for my funeral. 
like those of you spared on hospital tiles, picked from lovers' teeth, and nestled deep in the vacuum, or shampooed between dirt and debris and drains light up. May you glow with the weight of love you can only share with what prize you out of yourself. Those stuck to balloons left in brushes, escapees taken away to elsewhere. What is to be said of you? I won't be gone until you are. Heavy root that rots to bloom when I shrink. Stay and conquer the sargasso in my tomb. It's Arya Aber, stunning poet. Beautiful. Um, and then I'm going to, yeah, just, you have to read it. Hard damage. It's just These people are sages. I feel like poems are just getting me closer to what I need to feel to enter my own work. And I think poets do their work not only quietly, showily too. I mean, they're performing. They're, it's it's an, an art form that requires your body and performance to be a part of it. And, you know, I'm a, a writer now and a perfumer now, but my first art form was performance art. So I think that calls to me is just the idea of not only using words in their most kind of pared down form to illuminate, but also how you speak and utter and perform them. You know, there's um, one of my favorite films actually is about poetry, which is um, a film about John Keats mm. called Bright Star by Jane Campion. I have to watch that. It's an exquisite film because it's one of the first films that had Ben Wishaw in it, who's one of my favorite actors, who's a queer British actor who's incredible. But Jane Campion, also one of the rare women filmmakers who mm. has kind of won the mm -hmm. Palme d'Or at Cannes. And anyway, this film is not really like a biographical film in the traditional sense of a writer. It's actually about Keats's relationship with Fanny Braun, who's the woman that he, whose house he fell, mm. who he fell in love with and whose house he rented as a poor poet. It's just a very, very beautiful film because it's 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 in its visual form like very romantic but also it really talks through in these conversations between this young woman who's not really a, a very literary person in her emerging friendship with this poet I think a lot of conversations that people generally have about poetry and the basic person including I would put myself sometimes in that category there's a beautiful line in which you know, she says to John Keats, I, I can never work out a poem. I can never understand a poem. And, and I can never mm -hmm. work. And he says, you know, a poem is not a lake where you're trying to swim to the shore. The purpose is to mm -hmm. be, to luxuriate in the center of the water. And I find that a very, because mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing with our very rational sensibility is that you need to reach a conclusion to something and you need to work it out and figure it out to be able to know that you've experienced it rather than just let it you know wash over you in a way in the way that I think listening to you read allows one to do as well yeah and it doesn't matter how well you listen and what you take away you know I think this idea of a takeaway is so colonial um <laughs> literally like it's all about <laughs> taking everything away <laughs> like I'm not into it I think even if you go to a poetry reading it's so much better than any like I'm sorry I'm a fiction writer so I feel like I can say this it's better than any reading of a novel like you have to really like be present for a novel reading but whenever I go to a poetry reading people are like holding their face in their hands their eyes are closed they're like in their like they're in some other worldly space to absorb the poetry because the lake is a beautiful image because it's you know each ripple in the lake is its own ripple it's never to be repeated again exactly in the same way but 
who's to say you should be able to follow one ripple all the way to the end of wherever it's going. It's never going anywhere. It's always there. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful way to experience language. And I think people miss out on it because they think they need to take something away from it. I think one of the things that I'm finding interesting about this moment too, especially coming from a media background, journalism background, is that going back to finding the takeaway, a lot of people are are trying to leap very quickly to finding a concluding meaning in all of what's happening during this this virus. You know, what is that's unsufferable to me. What does it mean? What does this all mean? What does it mean for the economy? What does it mean for the world? What's gonna happen to this and and I find that even in the effort sometimes to be like TED Talk influencers People are sort of not really like understanding that this is not a moment to be worked out right away. Like we have to actually let it wash over us and and be in it because it's still unresolved. And and I I think that that I don't know impulse and I'm guilty of it too to know what it all means is very strong in maybe how we've all been educated or in the rationalism that we've all been kind of prisoners to for so long. Oh gosh, I find it insufferable. I don't, I don't even think about, like, I don't know. I don't think about a resolution or a meaning or a, or a a takeaway from all of this yet. I think we, yeah, like you said, we have to feel it and be in it and, and know that things could have been prevented and things could have been different and things need to change and systems are not real. The body is finite. Um, This virus is very scary. And, you know, these are all realities we're holding at simultaneously at the same time and in very different ways. And there are literally people being carted on ferries and the backs of trucks inches from each other, no inches between each other, just a slit of air, if that, between each other. And there are people walking six feet apart, going on jogs with their dogs. I mean, like people are experiencing the same thing so differently but it is a collectivizing moment and it is a moment to really deepen our feelings um for humanity and i think i have been moved by so many images of people's experience with this but i have not been moved by think pieces um that try to summarize survivorship and the meaning of this from the privilege of the written word. I think it needs to be felt in our bodies and in our art, but I don't need to read someone else's synthesis of what's happening right now because I'm pretty damn sure it's not going to answer shit for me right now. It's not going to make me feel better. Well, novelist, essayist, perfumer, and all-around beautiful soul, Tanais, thank you for sharing your (laughs) lockdown diaries. Thank you for listening to my lockdown diaries. Thank you for being the person who opened my diary and read it. I love, I love you. <laughs> I'm feeling very like babysitters club with my diaries, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But we're both. Wait, so which, who are you? Are you, you're totally Stacy, aren't you? Are you Claudia? Are we all Claudia Kishi? <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> High school teenage self, like with my diary, isn't a locket, but that's okay. Um. <laughs> oh my god, that was so fun! Thank you for like letting me just be weird. <laughs> Our music is by Zay Bungesh. 
I'm Bilal Qureshi, and I want to thank you for listening to my Lockdown Diaries, and I hope you'll share with me some of yours. This was a B-Sides production. Um, are you going to sign off right now? This I feel like weirdly lonely the minute that you sign off. It's so, it's like, fuck this shit, dude. <laughs>